0: Are you familiar with the Peanuts cartoon character that is up on the screen this morning? Do you know who this is? This is Pigpen. Um, I love uh, the character of Pigpen in the cartoon character of Charlie Brown because this cartoon character was somebody that wherever he went, there was this This cloud that followed him wherever he went, there was this dust, this cloud of dust that that went where he went. He, He was living in a realm of dust. This morning I would like to encourage you to consider with me the next covenant that we have been going through over the last couple of weeks. And if you're here for the first time, we have been going through a series called The Clock of the Ages, And we have been going through some of the promises that God has given humanity from the very beginning. Uh, We've looked at a number of different covenants that God has for humanity. And God who is outside of time reveals himself in time. And there are a number of covenants that we have seen that have been very significant for us to understand. The covenant that we are going to look at this morning and the insert that you have in your bulletin, there is this covenant that is going to be directly given to us. A lot of the covenants that we have looked at in the past have some significance to us, but we're going to find that the covenant of grace that we're going to look at this morning is directly given to us, and it is a powerful, powerful covenant. If you go to camp... And when there is mail call, there is oftentimes they will call out mail. They will say, we've got a letter for Joe. Or we have a letter for Mary. Or Steve, we've got a letter for you. Jane, we've got a letter for you. God has a letter directly written for you and for me today. And this letter is very significant. It's a covenant that we will see is much like pig pen, and I'm going to suggest to you that the blessings of grace are very significant for us to understand, and very few find it. There's a book that I'm right in the middle of, and I think I'm going to use this book as a resource Come the middle of July and also in August, we're going to go into a new series where we're going to go through the first chapters of Romans, chapters 1 through 8, to try and identify some of the things of the Christian life that oftentimes we fail to understand. And that's the realm of grace that we live in. Let me just quote for you a couple of things from this book, and if you don't have this book... I would encourage you to get it this summer, read it, because when we go through it, some of these thoughts will be pulled out of not just Romans 1 through 8, but here's an author that articulates well some of these principles. For example, he talks in this book, in this chapter on the line, he says, God has already perfected those of us who are in Christ. That's the reality. We are complete in him. We are his righteousness. We are holy and blameless and beyond reproach. These truths are already our reality above the line in the unseen and eternal realm in God's kingdom in our spirit. These are the eternal, unchanging truths of our identity as new creations, as sons and daughters whom God has birthed. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in the Christian life Another quote from this book, we understand that there is no separation between heaven and reality now. God is up there and we are down here. We cease striving to get closer to God. We stop asking, how do I reach him? Give me the programs. Give me the plans. Give me the ways. Instead, we live out of what is already true. We live in union with Christ. God and you are one together. These are some of the thoughts that the author Dan Stone gives in this book, The Rest of the Gospel. Most people's Christianity, in our understanding of it, is like an old iron bed, firm at both ends, yet we're sagging in the middle. On one end, we've trusted that Christ is our Savior, and we know that Christ has saved us. That's the end of the mattress. We know that Christ saved us. I'm forgiven. We also know that we're going to heaven. (laughs) We also know that God has given us eternal life, and we know the end of the story. We know the two ends of the Christian life. But in the middle, there is this sagging misunderstanding of what it means to live in grace. And what we're going to see today is that this covenant of grace, I would suggest to you, is much more, when we say it's more than theological, every element of our Christian life is based in theology, so we can't separate the two. I'm afraid that oftentimes we look at, I want to be, be applicable, I want to put my faith into practice, so just give me the application part. And we want to remove the doctrine. The Bible never does that. Doctrine and lifestyle always live together. You cannot separate it. You live out what you believe. And so there's this element that we can't separate the two. We've got to understand the foundation of this mattress so that we don't sag. We've been saved. We're going to heaven. But the foundation is so important. This morning, what I'd like to do is give you, as quickly as I can, the seven principles that are found in this key passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and then we will flesh out, hopefully, some of what this looks like in our life. So let's do this. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to suggest to you, and this might sound really radical, but I'm going to put it on the table for you to chew on I'm going to suggest to you and to I that heaven is available today. Heaven is available today. You and I don't need to wait until we die. In fact, Paul is going to say that when you die, even though you're alive, when you die, you touch heaven. Not when we Are put in the grave, but right now you and I have access to the heavens. That's the realm of grace. That's pig pen living. And so, this element of being able to touch the heart of God, present tense, is something that I believe Paul reveals in his writings. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This is our text. And due to time, I don't want to read through the text. Let's just walk through at least seven, this is not an exhaustive list, of some of the things that we find in this passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and following. Verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. The first principle I want you to notice here is that the Apostle Paul is going to name this age that we live in. The name is what the administration of God's grace. The focus is on God's grace. And Paul here in the NIV uses the word administration. If you're using the King James Version you're going to find the word dispensation. We don't use the word dispensation much today. So we say, well, what's a dispensation? What's an administration? Well, you and I understand what an administration is. Let me give you two examples. The word administration is used in our government. Every four years, we vote for somebody to go into office and that Office person that lives at the White House is the person that is part of their administration. In fact, we call it the Reagan administration. We call it the Obama administration. He's been in office now for what, seven years? He's coming up on his eighth. He cannot continue in office because of our Constitution. Somebody is going to replace him. And there is going to be a new administration because Obama is going to leave. So we understand administration. We understand what that looks like, what that means. Let me give you another illustration. If you live in an apartment complex, and you have your apartment complex go under new management, they're a new administration. They might set a new policy where they will say to you, no pets are allowed, but you had pets before. But now the new administration comes in and says, you can't have pets anymore because there's been a change in dispensation. There's been a change in the administration. There's been a change in leadership. The word oikonomia here in Ephesians 3.2, the word oikonomia is describing that idea of dispensation, but let's use the word, I think the NIV is right in us understanding it, Let's use the word administration. And the word is very simply that this word, this administration is described as as an administration of grace. We live in the dispensation of grace. We live in the administration of grace. There is a big contrast between the age that we live in and the age before us, the dispensation of the law. Or the administration of the law. Paul is going to make this point. In the book of Galatians. The very first book that he wrote. In all 13 of his books. He describes what it means to live in grace. There is a conflict between grace and law. People wanted to live under the law. And he says no, no. We now live under grace. And this whole concept of us living under grace. Was some of Paul's calling. He calls it the administration of grace. Look at the second characteristic. We see here in this verse 2 and 3, it says in verse 3, that is the mystery that has been made known by revelation as I have already written about. The second characteristic here is that this is a mystery, a secret, made known to the Apostle Paul. Paul is going to make a statement that is very radical here. God has revealed to me what he's doing in this age of grace. And I'm going to use the word age in place of administration or dispensation. Paul is going to say, God has revealed to me what he's doing today. Because what has happened is the Jewish nation that the promises were given to, they closed their heart and they says, we don't believe. And out of their unbelief, God has now turned to the Gentiles. And God is going to reveal to him what God is doing in this age of grace. Turn back just a moment to Galatians chapter 1. There are some key passages here that Paul is going to make reference to this place, this position of authority that God gave him. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. What was revealed to him? I don't believe that the gospel was revealed to him. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for you and me. He was buried, and he rose again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's the gospel that was preached in the Old Testament. But now the gospel is given to the Apostle Paul in the understanding of what has happened to the nation of Israel. God has revealed to him, and he makes a point here, in his apostolic authority. Go back one page in your Bibles here to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at what Paul says in this book. There are other passages, but these are some of the key ones that Paul will make much of these revelations. Plural, not singular. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He's talking about himself here. Paul is using the third person because he doesn't want to boast, but he says, I know a man who is... Either in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but this I know, that God revealed to me, look at the passage, not Revelation 1, but Revelations plural. How many? He doesn't say. He just says there were plural revelations that were given to Paul. Paul is going to be the one that God is going to reveal what God is doing in this age of grace that we live in today through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and look at a third characteristic here about this mystery, this revelation that Paul received. Ephesians 3 verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1 and just read. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration, the dispensation of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery that was made known to me by revelation as I have already written about. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The third characteristic here about this mystery is that it is a mystery of Christ to be understood. God wants us to understand what he's doing today in the age of grace, this age that God is dealing with you and me. He doesn't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to know. All nine of the letters that Paul uh, writes makes reference to himself as being the Apostle Paul given to the Gentiles. And the mystery of Christ here is that we might come to know him and who he is. I think that Paul here has revealed some truth about who Christ is that the Old Testament scriptures made reference to but did not fully reveal it to what we understand about who Christ is to live In the realm of grace today, we've got access to some blessings that are all over the pages of the Apostle Paul's writings. We find here that it is something that God wants us to understand. Just by way of going to left field for just a moment, skip down to chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Can I suggest that this be our prayer for one another? If you want to pray for people in the church, can I suggest that we take this passage and pray for Tobin and pray this prayer. Verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Tobin, I pray that out of his glorious riches, the Father, that we might, he might be strengthened with all power through the Spirit in his inner being. See, that is a prayer that goes beyond the physical to the very heart and the spirit of man. And when you look at what Paul prays for in the scriptures, it is deep, it is rich. It's not just bless us with physical healing, even though, friends, I understand we can ask for that, but it's much deeper than that. When we see, when Paul prays three times, God, remove this thorn from my flesh, God said, no, no, Paul, I'm going to leave that thorn in your flesh. I'm going to leave that cancer in your life. I'm going to leave this trial in your life so that you might experience grace. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Oh, my friends, that kind of theology, that kind of thinking goes much deeper than the realm of the seen world. Now we're dealing with the unseen world that is as real as the nose of our face. And so, this prayer here in Ephesians 3 is a powerful prayer that we can pray for one another. Look at the fourth characteristic that is found in verse uh, 5 of chapter 3, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This is a mystery not made known to men in other generations, a secret that God kept to himself. God has not revealed everything to us. God will not reveal everything to us in the days to come. When you and I get to heaven, we will not have all of the answers. If you think that, heaven is going to be much different for us than what we think. There will always be a secret in God's heart because he is beyond all secrets. There will always be a mystery about God that we will not understand. There will be something about God that we will say, oh my goodness, have you seen this about God? God never promises us that we will fully understand him, and yet we demand that from him. And he works at a much different pace in his revelations. His time frame, friends, is much different than our clock, much different. God deals much differently with us because he's a timeless being. Look at the next characteristic here in chapter uh, 3, verse 5. We read verse 5. There's another characteristic. This mystery of Christ is being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. It's the Spirit. Remember last week, if you are here last week, we talked about the New Covenant. And what is the New Covenant all about? The New Covenant is Spirit living, Remember that this new covenant is really a two-part. It's not being fully experienced in the sense that it was given back in Jeremiah because the promise was given to Israel. Israel will live someday, all 12 tribes, they will live someday in the future by way of the Holy Spirit indwelling them and teaching them and leading them just like what the church is doing today. And I wonder, friends, if the church today is a prime example for Israel because they will become envious and what will bring them to the knees. When they look at the one that they have pierced, they will look at the church, the body of Christ. Remember that the church, the body of Christ, that language of the Apostle Paul is very unique to the Apostle Paul. You never find the Gospels, you never find Jesus, you never find the Old Testament Bible talking about Israel as the body of Christ. They're always talked about as the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. There is a male and a female within our relationships together. There is also this idea of the male, Christ, and he has a body and he marries the bride someday when they come together and there will be this union of Christ and Israel and that fulfillment of Israel and that spirit living will someday be tasted by Israel in the coming age. That will be a great day. Where when we talk in the next few weeks, we will see during the millennial kingdom, all of these covenants in the Old Testament are going to come together and they're going to weave themselves together in a very unique way that God will reveal himself through the nation of Israel. Because God is not done with the nation of Israel yet. If you would have talked to people back in World War II, you would have said, they're not around. They're not even a nation. In 1948, they became a nation Again. God's not dealing with the nation of Israel yet. When the church, the body of Christ, is taken out and the spirit of God that indwells the church is taken out, watch what happens. The spirit of God is holding back evil. That's part of our call as the church. When the spirit of God is taken out of the world and there's nothing to hold back evil, it will be a day, Jesus says, that will never ever be like it. You think it's bad now. You, you just wait. And I don't say if our theology is correct, but we believe in a pre-trib, that is that God will come back and take the church, the mystery of the church being raptured up, and when the church and the Spirit of God pulls us out of this world, then God will start dealing with the nation of Israel again, and during that time, evil will be none like it, because the Spirit of God that indwelt the, the church, the body of Christ, is taken out, and then literally all hell will break loose. But God is still sovereign, and he's in control. Because at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, that's what the book of Revelation is all about, the seven-year end of the tribulation, the birthing pains of that seven years brings about the second coming of Christ. And the birthing pains brings about this wonderful king and the kingdom and all that is included. What a great day that will be. Look at the sixth characteristic, and here's the mystery given to us specifically in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that Paul wants them to understand and for us to understand. Gentiles are heirs together of one body, the body of Christ. Today, us Gentile dogs have the blessings of God's blessing to us, and we are equal to the Jews in that the gospel comes to us. That's the great mystery of this dispensation of grace. Do you know that when Jesus, in Matthew 15, Jesus had a Canaanite woman come to him and say, My child is demon-possessed. Would you heal him? And you know what Jesus does? He ignores her. And the disciples ask, Why are you ignoring her? He says, I haven't come to come to the Gentiles. I have come to the house of Israel. That was his coming, to come to Israel, to present himself as their king. He heals that woman because of her faith, because he says, there's no faith that I found even in Israel, in Matthew chapter 15. It's a remarkable story of the faith of the Canaanite woman. We find here that Jew and Gentile are now equal. In the Old Testament, my friends, watch this, Genesis chapter 12. Let's take the timeline here. Genesis chapter 12, The Jews are up here, the Gentiles are down here. This is the Old Testament covenant of Abraham. This is the promise that goes through all of the Old Testament and even the Gospels. And when the Jews are given the opportunity to receive Christ in the book of Acts, they said no, and the closing of that on their hearts went like this. And now the blessings are spilling over. And now instead of this, in the church today, the body of Christ, we find that this equality, Jew and Gentile, now can come to us can come to Christ Jesus, believe on the Lord Jesus, and here we are, a bunch of Gentile dogs that don't deserve it. And that's how the Bible describes us, eating crumbs from the table of the Jews. The seventh characteristic here is found in verse 10, and this is mind-boggling. Look at verse 10. Let's just skip down here for a moment and, and read this. His intent... In this mystery was that now through the church, the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Can I suggest to you that from this text, the church today is more than a revelation for humanity. The revelation of the church today is the depth of God's wisdom to the angelic beings that look at us and say, would you look at the wisdom of God? This is unbelievable. What is God doing? What in the world? He never talked about this in the Old Testament. How in the world? And the angels, I believe, are being challenged with God's grace because it's all about him. It's all about Christ. The angels stand amazed at the pathetic sinners that are now coming to faith in Christ Jesus. These are the elements here of this great... Great dispensation of grace. But, my friends, these are some of the elements that lay the foundation. Now, can I just briefly give you in two minutes some application? And I knew this was going to happen because we're running out of time. But we're going to develop this in this series entitled The Realm of Grace during the month of July and August so that we have some time to study Romans 1 through 8 and find out some of the foundation. What is the application here? What does this look like in our life? How do we see this lived out amongst us? Number one, grace is available to us just like the cloud of dust that Pigpen lives in. I believe that we have access to God's grace and it is right around us. It is available to us and it is now. We can live in grace right now. Well, you say, well, what does that look like? What does that, how does that? Let me just share a couple of thoughts here. Your identity, my identity, is in Christ and nobody else. When I was saved out of sin, God gave me a new identity and I am now in Christ. That means that God the Father looks at Christ and because I'm in him, the Father sees my identity in him. We take all of our identities from everybody around us, my mom, my dad, my neighbors, our identity is in Christ. How about your significance? Are you significant? You bet you are if you're saved because you're in Christ. How about your security? You are secure because you are in Christ. How about your value? How about the power to live? All of these become parts of the Christian life. This is where the sagging of the the mattress, we need to reclaim and, and see the promises that we have in Christ. We don't need to wait. Heaven's right here. We grow in grace Secondly, we're saved by grace. We live by grace. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, continue to grow in grace. Grace does not stop at salvation. Grace is not tasted when we get to heaven. Grace is available for us now. It's there. How many of us have tapped into that? We don't need to wait to get to heaven. Grace is available now. Saved by grace, and He gives us all these rich blessings. Without Him, we have nothing. With Him, we have everything. I'd like you to go back to Ephesians chapter 1 a moment, verses 3 through 14 is all one verse. And I'd like you to read this verse this next week and claim all the promises that you and I have. I'd like you to take a piece of paper. If you're not reading your Bible on a daily basis, I want you to chew on Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. It's all one sentence in the Greek. So just read it and list all of the promises that you have in Christ if you're saved. And just chew on this. I guarantee you that if you chew on this for a couple of days, you chew on it for a couple of weeks, for a month, the promises that are here are unbelievable. Open your door of your heart to the promises that God gives. You and I. I want to close with this last thought um, by way of what this might look like. When I was a young boy, we had in our living room a picture that hung in our living room. And I can remember from a young boy until I left uh, to go off to college that the picture that's on the screen was the picture that was in our living room. I didn't realize that at the time, but in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And this is the picture that tries to capture that, that essence of Jesus. I want you to notice that on this door there is no handle on the outside. I never knew that when I was a kid. Somebody drew that to my attention later on when I looked at this picture again. I thought, oh, it's really interesting. Revelation chapter 3 is given to one of the Jewish churches in the time of the tribulation. I'd like to suggest to you that this picture captures the realm of grace that God, through Christ, offers you and I by way of saying, you live in the dispensation of grace. What does that mean? I want you to work this out. He is knocking on the door of your heart, saying, will you let me in, Christ, into your heart? That's the prayer of Ephesians 3 that we looked at, verses 14 through 20, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. What does that look like? My friends, I think there are promises and blessings for you and I that we have not tasted yet that are unbelievable and I think it's the abundant life that Jesus offers us through him. Heaven is available for you today. Will you let him in? Will you surrender your heart to him? Will you let him be the one that will be the center of your soul? Because that's what salvation is. We've been saved from ourselves, and we let him be the throne room of our soul. Will we allow God to do that? Not for salvation. I I think that we've oftentimes take we've used all of these blessings for salvation, say, come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Yes, let's be evangelists, let's keep doing that. But most of these promises, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That promise is not given for salvation for the unbeliever. That promise is given for the believer. Check it out. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We use it for evangelism. It's all rich blessings that God has given us by way of what he's provided through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heart and your head with me this morning as we close in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to scan the beauty of this great promise that you give us Uh, through your servant, the Apostle Paul. and Thank you, Father, for the revelation of grace that is deep, it's rich, it's inexhaustible. Father, teach us. Teach us, Father, what it means to be grace-filled people. Give us hearts of forgiveness. Give us hearts of compassion. Give us father our unity and our our identity in Christ. Father, all of these make it more than just theological understanding, but pray father that the spirit of god might put feet to what we know to be true in these great promises that you have given through your spirit and through your son. Thank you father for your son. We pray that you would bless us as we go through another week. Give us father the power to live in that realm of grace. The power, Father, to be empowered by your spirit to overcome even the world's temptations and sins. Thank you, Father. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.